fired into a, ta- a typhoon. You're listening to the news on RTHK. for the last three to five years. Public financial services is known to be very tough. And traders trading all sorts of things. Volatility in the foreign exchange market. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Rinita Malhotra-Hora. The CSRC has banned major shareholders, corporate executives and directors from selling stakes in listed companies for six months. The Shanghai Composite slid almost 6% to a three-year low as sellers were locked out of 72% of the Chinese market. And the New York Stock Exchange uh, halt Royals U.S. markets as malfunction hits the biggest exchange. It's time perhaps to stop referring to China's stock market decline as a correction and relabel it what it really is, a crash. Is that the case? We'll ask Macquarie's Erwin Sanft. Next, uh, the Wall Street Journal's Wei Gu will talk about China firms that now find themselves in a stuck situation because they delisted from U.S. stock exchanges. And our last guest this morning is Consul General of Canada in Hong Kong, Ian Burchett, and he joins us to talk about trade relations between Canada and Hong Kong. Local share prices in Hong Kong fell by the largest margin yesterday since the 2008 financial crisis. The acting financial Sir- secretary, Casey Chan, insists that it wasn't a meltdown, but it certainly looked like one at one stage. The Hang Seng Index fell over 2,100 points in the early afternoon as panic buying set in before recovering to a somewhat, uh, before recovering somewhat to close almost 1,500 points lower at 23,516. Stock markets on the mainland have continued to fall despite official efforts to stem the huge losses of recent weeks. Shares listed in Shanghai have fallen in value by a third in less than a month, wiping more than $3 trillion of company values. Investors holding stakes of more than 5% are not allowed to sell shares over the next six months, and the losses are affecting tens of millions of people. What's the mood like on the ground in China. Here is Bloomberg's Stephen Engel reporting from Beijing. I'm here in front of one of the many brokerage houses in Beijing where individual investors can come in and buy and sell stocks. However, today, with some 1,300 companies on the Chinese A-share markets being suspended, there's not a lot of trading, but there are a lot of long faces, glum-looking faces. I saw an elderly woman roll up her basket of groceries, and she peeked in the window and saw all the uh, negative stocks, if you will, and she walked away shaking her head. There were about Four gentlemen sitting at a table over here at this restaurant, and they were lamenting the stock market route, saying they were quite depressed today. And why not? About three and a half trillion U.S. dollars of market value have been wiped away in a matter of weeks. Now, some say what led the market up was nothing more than greed. As people borrowed on margin, they even put their house up, houses up for uh, collateral, uh, betting their life savings on a one-way bet that turned sour pretty quickly. But you have to keep in mind as well, as the government surely is, that there is a societal cost for those who have bet so much and have now 
lost so much. Now, many people here in the Capitol are used to the government stepping in, intervening, if you want to call it, or interfering. But today, we are seeing that those measures that the government came up with have failed to put a floor on the selling. And the people on the streets here of Beijing are the ones... Who are suffering the most? Well, the Shenzhen Composite closed down 2.5% at 1,884. And the Shanghai Composite closed down almost 6% at 3,507. The question everybody is asking is how low can the market actually go? Here's Michael Avery, who is the head of financial markets research at Rubberbank. Well, if you ask me, we can go all the way back to where we were last summer before this bull market started. If you think about it, it kicked off just as the economy was starting to deteriorate even more than it already had been. So the fundamentals didn't justify it. And yes, you can say interest rates are lower now than they were then, but so what? It doesn't really seem to be having much of an impact on the economy, which is where it should be having an impact for equity markets to pick up on that. So let's go back to where we were last summer. I think that's around 2,500 in the Shanghai index. Yeah, the 2,500 level is significantly below the 3,400 level, which is uh, where our guest yesterday on the show, Daryl Guppy, said markets would consolidate. But Goldman Sachs is still bullish on China. Here's uh, Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. King or Lao is uh, Goldman Sachs's uh, strategist in Hong Kong who covers China, and he is still calling for a 27% rally in the CSI 300 specifically in the next 12 months. Of course, this follows a big sell-off in the CSI 300, as we've seen in all of the major averages in China. Uh, here you see it behind me, the CSI 300, the Shenzhen, Shenzhen CSI 300, to be more specific. And you have seen for the year to date, it's still higher by about 3.5%, 3 and 2 thirds of 1%. This sell-off here is a 32% sell-off, 32% plunge uh, since June 8th. It peaked a little bit ahead of the Shanghai Composite, which didn't peak till a couple of days later. But he's still calling for an increase there. He said in an interview, it's not in a bubble yet. China's government has a lot of tools to support the market. So he's still optimistic here. There's been all this talk about margin lending that has supported uh, the markets in China. Take a look at my Bloomberg terminal. This is a measure of margin debt in China. You can see the climb that's been basically in line with the increase in the markets there as a lot of the increase that we have seen, a lot of the buying of Chinese stocks has been on borrowed money. And now that is beginning to unwind. We've seen a big decrease there on Monday. Margin debt, by the way, fell by about 7%. However, Lau says we're, it's not a big enough problem to cause him to change his target. He doesn't think the unwinding mm is going to be detrimental to the Chinese markets. The huge stock falls on the mainland and here yesterday cast a shadow on the U.S. market. The Dow fell 261 points to 17,515. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq also dropped more than 1.5% to 2,046 and 4,909 respectively. But the falls may have been exacerbated by a lengthy computer outage at the New York Stock Exchange. The NYSE was closed for more than three hours due to an internal technical issue that it said was not caused by hacking. Let's bring in our first guest this morning, Erwin Sanft, who is the head of China strategy at Macquarie Securities Group. Good morning, Erwin. Yes, good morning. Erwin, can we now stop calling this a correction and start calling it a crash? I think what the Chinese government is doing uh, with their 
you know, measures in the market is trying to <clears throat> unwind the high level of margin financing. So it was going quite slowly through last week, uh, but this week uh, that's going a bit better. So now the overall level of margin financing is down 30% from its peak. Um, that unwind is still in process, so the A-share market will still be under pressure as that level is brought down. But, you know, that's really the focus because once margin financing returns to a more normal level, you know, a, a lot of the concerns which, um, you know, are there at the moment will will evaporate. So you think that uh, that's going to be enough for investors to regain confidence? Well, the process has you know, damaged, I think, retail investor sentiment. So it's unlikely the Asia market is going to have any strong recovery in the near term. Um, and, yeah, we just have to keep watching that level of margin financing, which is, you know, day by day being worked off quite well. Um, probably will take another week or two to, you know, at this rate to get it down to a level which um, – I think market participants and the authorities would be comfortable with. And what is that level? I mean, uh, Tim Condon of ING says that uh, we'll see the market go down to the 2,000 levels. Daryl Guppy of Guppy Traders said it should consolidate around 3,400. What's your view? Well, we've been saying all along that uh, the valuation support for the Asia market only emerges below 3,300 points. And obviously the correction yesterday took us quite you know, much closer to that level. Uh, at that level, the A-share market would be trading at one and a half times book value and 12 times price to earnings. Uh, it'll probably go below that level, but at least uh, the valuation support does emerge below that level. Now, China has ousted Russia as the riskiest BRICS market for options traders. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't think... Uh, you know, we used to have this term uh, brick, uh, but that's no longer in use because uh, China is so much larger than those other um, emerging markets. So everyone's looking at China very much as a standalone market. Uh, and I think at a, on, at a global level, China is compared more with uh, Europe. And, you know, it's, it's a choice between U.S., Europe and Japan um, as, as major investment destinations. Mm. Now, the trickle-down factor to Hong Kong, you know, Castor Pang, who is a financial analyst, said that the main reason that the Hong Kong market is going down is because, the, because these two markets, meaning Shanghai and Hong Kong, have a high correlation with many mainland companies listed in both. So would you say this was just inevitable? Well, the good news here in Hong Kong is that uh, the H share index, so that you know, representation of Chinese companies listed here in Hong Kong, it already uh, went below book value yesterday, which uh, it always does whenever there are concerns around liquidity conditions in the mainland. Um, in fact, in the, over the last five years, you know, once every year we've had an event which has caused this level of concern. Each time the H share index goes below uh, book value, and at that point, um, it, it finds support quite quickly. So here in Hong Kong, the situation. Is, is much better than uh, in the mainland because on the mainland exchanges, as I mentioned, we're still going through the unwind of margin financing, whereas Hong Kong has moved, you know, the, this eight-share index has moved very quickly to, uh, you know, a good support level. Is this, however, going to affect IPOs in Hong Kong? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, whenever uh, the, the small caps, small mid-caps have been hurt particularly badly in the sell-off, so that, that's where a lot of the fundraising was planned 
so that'll all be delayed now. Um, but, it, you know, the market here in Hong Kong is actually, you know, closer to finding uh, its support level than, than in China. So all this time we've been talking about systemic risk in China. We've seen how it's affected Hong Kong. But Chinese U.S. tech companies have also seen big hits. And the question is, does China's uh, market sell-off pose systemic risk to U.S. tech companies that have a Chinese presence? Sean Ryan of the China Market Research Group talked to Bloomberg. I don't think it's going to impact the American tech companies. I think a Cisco and an IBM are in trouble in China, but that's more because of rising protectionism in the country and real fear by the Chinese government towards security issues of dealing with the American tech companies. I actually think Apple is going to come out very strong from this. Chinese are still lining up to buy their products. I was actually in Hong Kong two weeks ago to buy an iPhone 6 Plus for my wife, and I had to wait in line for two hours because mainlanders are still shopping there. So you're going to see a hit on consumer confidence that's going to hit some of the American and European companies. I'd be very negative on a Nestle, on the luxury players like a Louis Vuitton or a Prada. But I think Apple and Starbucks are going to actually come off very strong from this. Now, Sean Ryan has always been a big China bull, but he is now also concerned about the bigger systemic risk. Um, the real reason is so many Chinese companies have borrowed money and used their stock as collateral. And that's something that's really quite dangerous right now. The second part is um, really what the Chinese regulators right doing right now are similar to what the Greek banks are doing. You can't take money out of the Greek banks, more than 60 euros a day out of the ATM. And right now with over 50% of Chinese share suspended, everyday retail investors can't exit. And that's why you see the hit on Hong Kong, because a lot of investors are selling off Hong Kong shares to get liquidity to pay back their margin calls. The question is right now is there isn't a lot of transparency. So we don't know how many companies are, you know, using their shares as collateral. And we just don't know how much the margin financing is going to hit everyday retail investors. But I'm getting more and more concerned, especially because the regulators themselves seem panicked. And I think they've actually triggered the fear in China this week. Erwin, what do you make of Sean's comments? The, the level of margin financing, uh, you know, did reach a record level on the mainland exchanges. And so at that point, once it had got to such a high level, there wasn't going to be any easy way out. And so, you know, the authorities we can see, uh, um, you know, managing this unwind, and, and that's really all they can do. So um, I think that there is quite a lot of containment happening. What we need to see first is the uh, large caps um, in the on the mainland exchanges, which are, none of them have suspended. So we need to see the main index, the large caps, get to a level of stability and, you know, margin financing uh, you know, coming down to a normal level. And then the second phase will be to uh, get all these small caps which have suspended trading, get them uh, trading again, and then go through that unwind with the small caps. But what, once the uh, unwind is done on the large caps, you know, the, the market will have achieved stability. So we don't uh, – even though there is going to be issues um, cropping up around small caps – um, you know, that'll be something we look at later and it won't, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be too much spread of um, problems into the, 
you know, wider economy. All right, Irwin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Irwin Samft is the head of China strategy at the Macquarie Securities Group. Time to take a look at the numbers this morning. The Nikkei is down 1.6% to 19,416. Australia's ASX 200 index down 0.14% this morning to 5,448. And Seoul's Kospi down 8 tenths of a percent to 1,998. In currencies, 1 euro is currently valued at 1.10 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 120.89 yen. And one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 91 cents. Well, the tumble in Chinese stocks affects more than just Chinese listed companies in China uh, or in Hong Kong. A number of Chinese firms listed on U.S. exchanges had recently delisted in the hope of relisting back at home. But these companies are now finding themselves stuck. Let's bring in the Wall Street Journal's uh, China Capital Markets reporter, Wei Gu. Good morning, Wei. Hey, good morning, Roy. Wei, can you tell us uh, which companies are finding themselves in difficult positions? Yeah, there were a lot of them. In June alone, 12 companies, more than 12 companies, have applied to uh, privatize themselves with a the goal of relisting in China. Um, the biggest company, um, the market cap, is Qihu, and that's a $9 billion privatization offer. Uh, so it ranges from small uh, dating, online dating companies to uh, internet security and to uh, online um, property search firms. So it's a wide ranging of Chinese companies listed in the U.S. And did these companies specifically delist because they wanted to take advantage of the rally back at home? Yeah, they usually don't say why they are delisting because if they do that, then that's going to prompt questions from shareholders um, asking if they can relist themselves at a valuation that's as much as 10 times of the valuation in the U.S., then they really have to pay a premium. But the understanding has been that. And there have been cases in the past of companies like um, a video, uh, online video company really successfully relisting in China and having been rising every day uh, up to 10% upward um, maximum every day for like 10 days. So people are really encouraged by the prospect. So what are they going to do, Wei? Because they cannot relist now in the U.S., can they? Well, the companies that have actually been taken private are very small. So the privatization wave has only started in the past three months in kind of being big jobs. So what they have done is saying to the market that uh, their founders have asked to buy the shares they don't own. It's seen as a call option on the shares, meaning that the founders, while making an offer, it's called a non-binding offer, meaning that uh, they don't really have to commit. They can say that uh, we just don't have enough funds. Uh, or we decide that we'd better stick with the U.S. market so they don't have to go private. Go private. All right, Wei. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Wei Gu, and she is the Wall Street Journal's China Capital Markets reporter. The Transport Department has uh, just issued an annum- announcement. The fast lane of the Tunmun Road, uh, Senwan bound near Shamseng, which was closed due to traffic accidents, is now reopened to all traffic. Come on, baby, light my fire.
The time is now 8.22 a.m. and you're listening to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. China's International Trade Minister Ed Fast met with Hong Kong's Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Gregory So, in the Philippines. This is during the APEC ministers responsible for trade meeting in late May. And they uh, discussed and they announced the conclusion of negotiations on a foreign investment promotion and protection agreement, the FIPA, between Canada and Hong Kong. Let's bring in our next guest now, who is the Consul General of Canada in Hong Kong, Ian Burchette. Good morning, Ian, and welcome to Money for Nothing. Good morning, Josanne. Bonjour. Wonderful to be here with you. Wow, a man of many, many talents. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Ian, can you tell us a little bit more about the trade agreement? It, it hasn't been signed yet, right? That's correct. Uh, on the margins of the APEC uh, meeting in the Philippines, uh, Canada's Minister of International Trade, uh, the Honorable Ed Fast, and the Commerce Secretary uh, for Hong Kong, uh, Greg So, uh, announced the conclusion of negotiations. And once it comes into force, uh, this agreement will provide a fair treatment for investors and a more predictable and transparent business environment uh, with legal providing prov- uh, provisions uh, for both sides. And so we're looking forward to this FIPA uh, to further uh, uh, encourage investment between Hong Kong and Canada and builds on the relationship uh, and the FIPA which uh, Canada has in place with the mainland. In fact, uh, Greg So likes to call it the So Fast Agreement uh, and uh, it was completed uh, the negotiations in very short time. So can you break some of that down for our listeners when you say um, foreign investment promotion Investment. Are you talking about investment in, you know, financial investment or specific investment in businesses and growth companies or a bit of both? It's a bit of both. It's, uh, we have between Hong Kong and Canada a very uh, robust uh, business and investment relationship. Uh, Canadian companies uh, have invested over $6 billion Canadian in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong entities have a, just about over uh, $10 billion invested in Canada. And so we expect that this uh, foreign investment promotion and protection agreement will provide a further uh, enhancement of that a very strong relationship. What kind of companies in Canada are Hong Kongers looking to invest in? Well, when we look at the the uh, the the uh, environment here uh, for a long time uh, we've had a very strong uh, financial services sector with all six Canadian banks with offices here as well as the insurance companies of Sun Life and Manual Life which have been in Hong Kong for over a hundred years but more recently it's been very encouraging to see the Canadian pension funds uh, the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan uh, all have offices here in Hong Kong but you're seeing a lot of innovative Canadian companies uh, establishing a business presence here. And with the f- full support and, and great uh, collaboration with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, we have over 200 Canadian companies which have offices here. And Hong Kong companies, in turn, are, are looking at Canada to establish a business presence, not only for the market in Canada itself, but to access North America. And uh, we're very encouraged by the continuing opportunities which mainland companies 
companies are looking at North America and using Canada as that beachhead. So since all of this is already happening, what uh, big difference will the signing of the FIPA actually bring? Well, I think when you look at the the foreign investment protection agreement that we have with China. It's important that we have one with Hong Kong, and uh, it will further provide, as I say, that predictable and transparent business environment and reciprocal uh, legal binding provisions once it comes into place. And uh, we're very uh, encouraged by the strong uh, interest which Canadian companies have in Hong Kong and through Hong Kong to other parts of Asia, particularly the mainland. And as I say, uh, more uh, Chinese companies are, are looking at going global and uh, using Hong Kong as that uh, platform. And we hope that they will uh, look at the uh, benefits of establishing that business presence in Canada. Now, the the consulate general here in Hong Kong, of course, you know, uh, a large part of its role is to bridge these two business communities. Can you tell us about uh, other areas besides the specific agreement uh, that you're working on to help connect uh, the business communities in Canada and Hong Kong? Well, we recently had in Toronto the Think Asia, Think Hong Kong Business Symposium, which was led by the Chief Executive uh, Siwai Leung, uh, together with uh, Commerce and Economic Development Secretary Greg So and the Chief Executive of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, Norman Chan. Uh, we had over 140 companies uh, from Hong Kong and southern China join that delegation. And I was very encouraged that we had 1,500 business people from across Canada uh, participate in that uh, day and a half session. In fact, there were 860 business matching sessions, which shows uh, that there's a tremendous opportunity uh, and interest by Canadian companies to look to Asia. And uh, we see uh, a tremendous uh, occasion to encourage those companies to uh, come to Hong Kong and use the uh, platform of Hong Kong to enter Asia. And we signed an agreement with the Hong Kong uh, uh, Trade Development Council, HKTDC, uh, which will help our small and medium-sized enterprises uh, use the platform uh, to, uh, of Hong Kong to expand into Asia. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Ian Burchett, and he is the Consul General of Canada in Hong Kong. Well, it's uh, time to take another quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is down to 2.38%, down by 2.38%, excuse me, to 19,268. Australia's ASX 200 down 1% to 5,396. And Sold's cost be down eight tenth of a percent to one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine. Gold currently stands at one thousand one hundred and fifty seven dollars and ten cents per ounce, and Brent crude oil at fifty seven dollars and twenty five cents. Well, things to watch out for later today: China's June inflation numbers, which will be released at nine thirty this morning. And uh, that's it for today. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora, wrapping up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast. It'll be mainly cloudy today with a few squally showers, fresh northwesterly winds, gusty at times, occasionally strong on high ground. Uh, stand by for a change in uh, the typhoon signal later this morning. The temperature right now is 27 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 69%. And here's the news with Samantha Butler. 
Russia has vetoed a UN resolution that would have condemned the Srebrenica massacre 20 years ago as an act of genocide. The killing of 8,000 Muslim men and boys by Bosnian Serb troops in the town was the worst massacre in Europe since the Second World War. The American ambassador to the UN, Samantha Power, said reconciliation in the region would only be possible by acknowledging the genocide. Only by recognizing this genocide the gravity of this genocide and how we outside failed to prevent it, will we be able to help the region move beyond such a dark part of its history, help it walk toward greater reconciliation, which we all seek, and live up to the promise of preventing genocide in our time. The Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras will present new reform proposals to Brussels today. As Greece has submitted a request for a new bailout, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, said it was clear Greece's debt would have to be restructured. In the context of, of Greece, we have always advised that that program walk on two legs. One leg is about significant reforms and fiscal consolidation. And the other leg is debt restructuring, which we believe is needed in the particular case of Greece for it to have debt sustainability. That analysis has not changed. Greece is in a situation of acute crisis, which needs to be addressed seriously and promptly. Her comments come as the U.S. Treasury Secretary J. 